Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. We start a brand new sermon series today called The Cast of Christmas, The Cast of Christmas, where we're going to be taking a deep dive into the key figures of the nativity story. And the first of these characters you're going to find a bit unexpected. For you see, today we're going to be focusing not on the shepherds, not on the wise men, not on the angels, not even on Mary and Joseph, but on the prophets the prophets. How many of you have a spot for the prophets in your nativity scene? Your nativity sets didn't come with a, with a prophet slot. They should, because as we'll see today, they are very important players in the cast of Christmas. And so as we get started today, let's take a little bit of a poll. Um, how many of you, by raised hand, like to be surprised? You like to be surprised. You love the unexpected, especially when it comes to gifts. You want to be surprised on Christmas morning, right? Let me see them again. My surprise people. Good to know. That's a lot of you. Now, in contrast, how many of you do not like to be surprised? Raise your hands. You do not love the unexpected. And truth be known, you would rather pick out your own Christmas present. (laughs) Raise your hand. There's quite a few of you as well. Quite a few, and, and somebody in the balcony going like this. So I hope their family member takes note of that. Well, here's the thing. It's, it's quite ironic that in our Christmas traditions, wrapping presents to keep our gifts a secret is such an important part of our Christmas celebrations. It's ironic because God was so intentional about the coming of Jesus not being a surprise. As a matter of fact, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that predict the life and ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. Let that sink in for just a minute. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament which predict the life and ministry of Jesus. It's almost as if, you know, using an unexpected sports analogy, right? Um, God gave us his playbook. God gave us his playbook and says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Be watching. This is the play I'm going to run. No surprise. And so it should have been expected and it should have been recognized by all who knew the Hebrew scriptures when Jesus came. Now these prophecies were delivered by people known as prophets. And a prophet is very simply a specially called individual who spoke God's words. Pretty simple. A specially called individual who spoke God's words. And they spoke these words of God in two primary ways. First of all, prophets would foretell. They would foretell, which means speak God's words concerning the present. And and truth be told, as we read the prophets, the major prophets who are the longer books and the minor prophets who are the shorter books, they spent most of their time actually doing this, forthtelling, speaking to the present situation, usually a word of correction, a word of rebuke, and even judgment, calling God's people who are going astray to repentance. 
prophets would foretell, speaking God's word concerning the present. But also, as we know, prophets would foretell. They would foretell, speaking God's word concerning the future. Speaking God's word concerning the future. As in the more than 300 prophecies that predict the life and ministry of Jesus the Messiah. And while we can't, obviously, cover all 300 of these today, aren't you glad for that? I bet Pastor Mike would try if he was here, right? Um, Instead, we're going to focus in on seven Christmas prophecies. Seven Christmas prophecies. Seven places in the Old Testament that speak directly and specifically about the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, The prophecies, this is is what's so mind-boggling to me. Prophecies which were given hundreds if not thousands of years before his coming. God gave us his playbook. He said, this is what I'm going to do so far in advance. And the first of these prophecies has to do with the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. And this Old Testament prophecy is found in a rather unexpected place. In fact, you have probably read over this verse many, many times and never recognized it as a Christmas prophecy. In fact, it's not even in what we would classify a prophetic book, but make no mistake, this is a Christmas prophecy. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the entire Bible, the context is God giving words of rebuke to Adam, to Eve, and the serpent after the fall. And there were, in fact, unique consequences that God gave to each of them because of their sin. And so in this context, God is speaking to the serpent. He's speaking to the serpent and saying, in light of your behavior, in light of what you have done here, it says in Genesis 3.15, the Old Testament prophecy, I will put enmity between you and the woman And the woman here refers to Eve. And between your offspring and her offspring, which refers to Jesus, he shall bruise your head, which refers to Jesus' ultimate victory. And you shall bruise his heel, which refers to his crucifixion. This this verse is is very significant. In Latin, it's known as the Protevangelion, which refers to first gospel. And it is mind-boggling to think that so early in the scriptures, we have a gospel presentation. We have a statement about what salvation is going to be all about. It speaks of the mission of Jesus Christ. And what is that mission? I love this picture, don't you? We see several things here. The mission of Jesus being to crush the head of the serpent, to utterly defeat Satan. But in so doing, notice those feet, the heel, if you will, as it was spoken of in Genesis 3.15. It would require the bruising or the piercing of the feet of Jesus as he is nailed to the cross. But what do you also see, more importantly, the crushing of the head of the serpent, But what is also quite fascinating about Genesis 3.15 is it tells us how Jesus would come to earth on this mission. Um, Look at it again. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Her offspring, it says. Now, again, who is that referring to? Eve. You see, Jesus would fulfill his mission 
Not by some Star Trek, beam me down to earth, you know, teleporting kind of fashion, but rather he would ultimately be part of the offspring of the first woman, Eve. He would be fully human. And the New Testament fulfillment for this is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, 4, where it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Just as it said in Genesis 3.15, born under the law. All the way back in the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, we have the mission of Jesus and how he would come to earth on that mission. The birth is described, as you know, in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So that is the first of the seven Christmas prophecies all the way back in the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis 3.15. The second of the Christmas prophecies has to do with the lineage of Jesus, which we spent some time dabbling in last week in the book of Ruth, didn't we? And thank you for the encouragement for some of you who reached out and said that was really helpful to see how those dots connect. I appreciate that encouragement. Um, Let's look at it from a little bit different angle today. Specifically, the Old Testament prophecy, again, Genesis, Genesis 22, 18. This time, the context is God, context is God speaking to Abraham, and it says, And in your offspring, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God is speaking this to Abraham When Abraham, this is after Abraham, had passed the ultimate test of being willing to offer up his son Isaac on the altar, and God affirms him, he encourages him, rewards him by saying, oh, Abraham, now that you have done this, now I know that you trust in me, and I will make you not just a great nation. All right, we tend to focus on that, but there's something even a little bit more specific here Abraham would also be a forefather of the Messiah who was to come to bring salvation to the world. Now, this is where the dots connect. We go from the New Testament fulfillment of this in Galatians 3.16, where it says, Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is... Christ, Christ, the connecting of the dots between God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 22 and now the fulfillment as proclaimed in Galatians 3.16. Abraham, Father Abraham, would not just be the father of the nation of Israel, but he would ultimately be a forefather of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. Going back to the promise, the prophecy in Genesis chapter 22. So again, we see God telegraphing his plays, handing over his playbook, leaving no surprises that when this Savior shows up, there is plenty of evidence about who he is and where he comes from. All of this given to us hundreds, if not thousands of years ahead of time. So the mission of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, Christmas prophecy number three. The virgin birth of Jesus. Now, let's define the virgin birth like this. 
It is the biblical teaching that Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and without a human father. Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and without a human father. We have a wonderful Old Testament prophecy for this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, a prophecy given 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, 700 years, that's a long time, but it's short in comparison to what we just talked about in Genesis, long before even this, but still 700 years. At any rate, the New Testament fulfillment we find in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, before Mary and Joseph came together in sexual relationship after their marriage, well, then how did Mary get pregnant? That's what she wanted to know when the angel came to her. How can this be? That's what Joseph wanted to know after Mary had shared this with him. The question is answered in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And that really is the point even the necessity of the virgin birth. You see, the fallen nature, the sin nature is passed on through Adam, through the father. Instead, in this particular case, God himself would be the father so that that sinful nature was not passed on, meaning that Jesus, his offspring, would be sinless, enabling him to therefore be the pure, spotless lamb of God, who was sacrificed for our sins. The virgin birth was necessary for this. But being the son of Mary, he was also fully human so that he could be our substitute, taking our place, receiving the punishment that we deserved. So both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus were absolutely necessary to fulfill his role as Savior. And both, both of them highlight the incomparable wisdom of God. I mean, this is one of those instances where we just, we just marvel at the majesty of our God, of his wisdom, of his plan. Of how, who would think of this except our all-wise God? The miracle of the virgin birth. And so... In the seven Christmas prophecies, we have the mission of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, and now the birthplace of Jesus in a place called Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, as we had talked about in our study of the book of Ruth, the house of bread. The Old Testament prophecy is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, we'll talk about that in a minute who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, what does that word Ephrata mean? You know, literally it means fruitful. It goes right along with that whole idea of house of bread. But it had a very practical purpose as well. It was to distinguish 
one Bethlehem from another. Did you know there were two Bethlehems? Uh, For you see, up to the north in Galilee, there was a Bethlehem. And then to the south, five miles south of Jerusalem, there was another Bethlehem. Well, the Bethlehem where Jesus was born is the one to the south, and it is referred to as Bethlehem Ephrata to distinguish it from the other. And while being small and seemingly insignificant by the world's standards, it was quite important, obviously, in God's playbook. Now, listen to this. I think outside of Cadillac, we used to have a sign that referred to Paul McMullen, right? The Olympian who ran the home, home of Paul McMullen. Well, you could put this sign outside of uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. That's a big deal. It was the birthplace of Joseph, Mary's husband, in this cast of characters of the nativity drama. And as we know, it was the birthplace of Jesus. That's some, quite a pedigree for the place of Bethlehem. And as it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you was born this day in the city of David, David's birthplace, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Just as the prophet Micah prophesied himself 700 years earlier. So, seven Christmas prophecies, the mission, the lineage, the virgin birth, the birthplace of Jesus. Now we have an interesting one, the gifts for Jesus, the gifts for Jesus. The Old Testament prophecy for this is actually in a psalm, Psalm 72, verse 10. It says, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Now, in its original context, Psalm 72 is a psalm of coronation for King Solomon, David's son. But I believe you can see very clearly how this can also apply to Jesus. For often prophecies had what we call immediate fulfillment in their immediate historical context, but then a future fulfillment years down the road. And so the immediate fulfillment does refer to kings coming and giving honor to King Solomon, David's son, but we don't have to squint too hard to see in this psalm how the verse specifically could also refer as a type or picture prophesying individuals who would travel a great distance to bring gifts to the Christ child. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel so far, as it says in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And if we skip ahead a bit to verse 11 in that same chapter, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, a scene very much like that described in Psalm 72. But as we know, the idea of one being born called King of the Jews was a great disturbance to the paranoid King Herod. And so there was, in fact, an attempt to kill Jesus. And that's the sixth Christmas prophecy, the attempt to kill Jesus. This foretold the great tragedy which would come to Bethlehem and the surrounding region as Herod had every male child two years and under put to death. But long before it happened, 
There was an Old Testament prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 15, where it says this. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And tragically, sadly, we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew tells us that this event with Herod was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah. Well, this attempt to kill Jesus led to Christmas prophecy number seven, which is the journey of Jesus, the journey of Jesus. We read about that in Hosea chapter 11, verse one. It says there, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, I think it's fair to say that in Hosea, likely we have both what we would call a near and a far fulfillment, an immediate and a distant fulfillment. In this case, the far fulfillment of this Hosea prophecy is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, where it says this. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. I believe a a good summary statement of all of these prophecies and what we are talking about this morning is John 19, 36, where it says, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. In this case, we have seven Christmas prophecies. We have the mission of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, the virgin birth, the birthplace, the gifts, the attempt to kill, and the journey of Jesus. All foretold hundreds, if not thousands of years before the events actually took place, which is interesting. It's fascinating when you really stop to consider it. But of great and much more importance to us is that question of application. How should we then live? So what? Again, Interesting, but what does it practically have to do with our lives today? I'm going to try something this morning. It might be a little bit uncomfortable for those of you who are in the the commons or doing this through the live stream, but I I am going to ask a question of the sanctuary. I'll repeat it and the the input that we get, but I, I miss doing this. I miss being able to turn it back on you and say, what are you hearing And what difference does this make to your life? What is the significance of the fact that we have these prophets who told us what was going to happen in advance, and then lo and behold, it happened. It actually 
happened. And so, again, I'll, I'll do my best to repeat what I hear. But for those of you who are in the sanctuary, anybody be willing just to throw up a hand and just yell out an answer and to say, Chad, this is what I'm hearing from the Spirit, and this is why I think this matters. Would anybody be willing to do that? Yeah, Jerry? The history convinces me that what I believe is true and accurate. I, I agree with you. There's, there's a, a confidence that comes to us as we look at the big picture and we, we consider, again, that this is, this is not like we had one little spiritual writing isolated that we credit with some prophet or something. This is a vast body of work over thousands of years and many, many, many checkpoints of consistency to say it does not contradict. It all fits together. History is his story, and he's over it all. And I agree with you, Jerry. I find great confidence as, as I read this. That's, that's awesome. Somebody else. Yes. God said it, and I believe it. Again, that goes with that confidence factor, the fact that, you know what, he's proven himself to be trustworthy. He's proven himself to be trustworthy. So as we go back to that whole uh, Bethlehem candle in representing faith, we serve a God who has proven himself time and time again to be trustworthy. Yes, Linda. God has given us these promises. He has fulfilled them. We see that it is true. And so if you're here and you're, you've yet to cross that line of faith, what are you waiting for? Let's go. You know, let's go. I saw another hand over here. Yeah, Dean. I love that. If God had such a detailed and wonderful plan in bringing his son can you imagine the incredible plan God has for you? That God has for you. Um, Sue. God kept his promises in the past, but people now can help God kept his promises in the past. He will keep them now and in the future. Here are mine. Okay, here's my answer to that question. How should we then live? Don't be surprised and be ready. I think of this, so many people who weren't ready. God had given his playbook. He had played his hand. He had showed his card, said, this is what I'm going to do. He did it. And people were still like, huh? They missed it. They weren't ready. Luke chapter 12, verse 40 says, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Because you see, here's the thing. In regard to the first coming of Jesus, God went above and beyond to take the surprise out of it. He gave us his playbook ahead of time and then did exactly what he says he was going to do. And yet, as I just said, so many people were surprised. They were caught off guard, not ready, and they missed it. Needlessly. Similarly. God has given us his playbook ahead of time in regard to Christ's second coming. But tragically, plenty of people, even professing believers, will be surprised and they will not be ready. Is that you? Are you ready? My, my famous saying, we're one day closer. We're one day closer, one week closer, one month closer, one Christmas closer. 
Church, don't be surprised. Be ready for you. See that old John MacArthur reading at the end of one of his sermons. I, this, this, I love, especially for us this morning, what we've been talking about in the incarnation of Jesus. He says, the first time Jesus came, he came as Savior. The second time, Christ will come as judge. The first time Jesus came, only some saw him. The second time, everyone will see him. The first time Jesus came, he humbly rode a donkey as he entered Jerusalem. The second time, he will ride on a great white horse. The first time Jesus came, he came as a baby. The second time, he will come as sovereign king and the Lord of all. Are you ready? The sermon would be incomplete if I did not take but a moment to explain how to be ready. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And when we say believe, what we mean is we come to the realization that we are in fact wretched sinners in need of a savior, that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, to make ourselves right with God. And it is only by God's initiative, by his grace, by him reaching out to us and providing the perfect sacrifice for our sins that we can be made right with him. And we do that by putting our trust in him. We turn from our sin and we turn to God alone. We put all of our eggs in the Jesus basket, all of them. And we receive him both as savior and as Lord, because you can't separate the two. Jesus is both savior and Lord. If you're gonna receive Jesus and who he is, You receive him as both the savior or leader of your life, but also as the Lord of your life. Have you done that? If you haven't, today's the day. Today's the day. Don't wait. The world is far too fragile right now. Life is far too fragile. Plus the fact that we are one day closer to when Jesus himself will return. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the beauty of the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. They are not disjointed. They are not disconnected. They fit together hand in glove because you have made it so. And I thank you for the beauty of this, to to think of the, the odds of prophecies written hundreds, if not thousands of years ahead of time, being fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. As you have told us about the first coming and we have seen how it came to fruition just as you said it would, we know that you have told us about your second coming and it will come to fruition just as you have said it to be so. Oh God, how I pray that you would make us ready, but part of it also, God, is that we would have a sense of urgency in sharing our faith with others because inevitably so many of us, all of us know many who are not ready. Would you give us divine appointments and open doors to share our faith with others who as of this very moment are perishing in their sin? Oh, but God, you have made the way. You have made the way through Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for it. We worship you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.